Hey gang, today's guest is my old friend Jim Lindbergh, singer for the Hermosa Beach punk rock band Pennywise. Jim and I go way back and it was great to catch up with him. We dove straight into their 1997 classic, Society, off their fourth album, Full Circle. The album was the first to feature bassist Randy Bradbury, who joined the band after the untimely passing of original bassist Jason Thirsk. I was happy and not at all surprised to hear that Dag Nasty was a huge influence to both Jason and Jim, and I feel like society would have fit in comfortably on one of their records. Jim talks about how political greed and government corruption directly influenced the lyrics of the song. He mentioned that he's always been more of a fan of positivity and change through lyrics, and how that always spoke to him more than being a crass gutter punk with no real objective. Jim feels like their album Full Circle was a pivotal turn for the band and one of the best-sounding Pennywise records to date. Oh, and Jim schooled me on the lyrics to the very last line of the final chorus, and deservedly so. For all this and much more, stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? We go way back. I, I first personally met Pennywise on the 97 Warp Tour, which is crazy for me to think because by that time I had been going to shows uh, a ton, a uh, ton of punk shows, loved you guys, but uh, it's so, so strange that I didn't see you uh, actually play live until then. I know you had been in, been in Florida, but of course, Less Than Jake in the early 90s was, was touring our, our butts off too and just uh, some, somehow missed you. Jim uh, went ahead and uh, picked Society from the album uh, Full Circle to talk about today, and uh, I've always loved this song. I was stoked when, when you picked it. Okay, good. Yeah. It's yeah. a uh I don't think there's been a show in our history since it was written that we haven't played it. So that's a lot to say. And I believe you because I actually went and uh uh referenced that. <laughs> I went and looked at at your set list and you pretty much played it every show and I certainly remember uh uh hearing you guys play this on the 97 Warp Tour. Um the Full Circle uh record was released on April 22nd, uh 1997. It was produced by Eddie Ashworth. Uh Eddie uh his credits include Sublime Unwritten Law and uh and Frenzel Rom and um this was uh, the record after About Time, which came out in 1995, and this was your first record with bassist Randy Bradbury uh, after the passing of uh, of Jason Thirsk, who passed away in uh, in July of '96. So, in between About Time and this record, I know you guys were road dogging it. You were out there a ton, just playing shows. Of course, the tragedy happened with, with Jason. In between that and and this album coming out in April of '97. That was a pretty quick turnaround. What, what, what was that time period like? I mean, you guys were were dealing with uh, the, the death of, of, of a founding band member, and, and here you are now trying to create this fourth record. It was such a crazy, emotional whirlwind. So much stuff going on. You, you, you look back on it and go, how did we possibly get through that? And I remember at a time where I definitely thought we're not going to get through this like this isn't going to happen and it really was going back to the warp tour and having our fans really support us after jason passed that made us feel like uh, we should keep doing this and 
I think there's a kind of a misconception in, in these situations. It happens a lot of, of people not really understanding everything that was going on. You have to understand, Jason and I, we grew up around the block from each other. So I knew him since he was a little kid, him and his brother. And, and when I joined the band, he was a year younger than me. So we were friends from the neighborhood and stuff. But when I joined Pennywise, I was already in bands and trying to, you know, have a musical career. But I, I just liked Jason so much, I wanted to be in a band with him. And uh, Fletcher came and saw me at playing in my cover band at a local dive bar. And I uh, said, hey, you should come and try out. We're looking for a singer. And I, I went there and totally remember hearing the songs and just going, wow, this is it. You know, we're, we're doing this. Yeah. And I, I knew I was walking into the door to the rest of my life. I, I've said that before. But when Jason started experiencing problems, it was more like dealing with a friend than a band member because sure. we were, I was personally so worried about him, you know, and he... he he talked to me and, and said, you know, like, you know, unless I stop this, I'm not going to make it, you know. And so it was a situation where we wanted him to deal with that. But then lots of other circumstances happening and our band is moving. So we're like, hey, well, let's get Randy and let's keep going. We're doing Jason's going to deal with his problems and and, uh, and come back and we'll be better than ever. And so when it happened, we it was just like wow, this wasn't the plan. The plan was we, we just keep moving. And so right at that time when this was going on, we were like writing songs and stuff like that. And and uh, and this was after about time. And, and so half of the record was starting to be written. Uh, songs were written then. And then Jason passed away and some, some other songs were written that were reflecting that. Like I wrote a song called Did You Really Want to Die? and um you know uh, other songs on the record that reflected that but society was one that was kind of written right in the middle where i was mm -hmm. really starting to get my political footing and concerned about all these things that were going on in the world and and that's where it kind of it dropped on me all in one day in a studio well, I want to touch on that. You know, you guys just when I put this track back on, I was I was studying it the past couple of days and listening to it. Uh, I just harked back to to you know some of those bands that preceded you. Even I'm, I'm hearing Agent Orange. I'm hearing a little TSOL, and I'm even hearing a band that was East Coast. Were you ever a fan of Dag Nasty? Uh, absolutely huge, and so was Jason. Okay, <laughs> and, and uh, I was gonna say, man, I just hear so much Dag Nasty in this track, man. It's just, it's just, ble it's bleeding it. And I'm like, I, I have to ask Jim that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I was telling uh, Toby that the other day. He said the same thing, and uh, I don't think they get a lot of credit because I think when you look at our band, I hear a lot of Dag Nasty in Seven Seconds. Like they were sure. a lot of. I mean, everyone's gonna say. Black Flag, Circle Jerks, Descendants, we come from Hermosa. And of course, those were, <laughs> I, I stood on my bed with a tennis racket and pretended I was in the Descendants when I was in high school. And they went to the same high school as us, you know. And so, of course, they're there. But Dag Nasty, especially for Jason and his songwriting, Jason wrote most of the lyrics on the first album and uh, and, and much on, on subsequent albums as well. And that their positivity and their lyric writing was a huge influence on on why I wanted to join the band. I heard the way that Jason was writing lyrics and just going like, like this is cool. I, I never really had a huge liking for the really nihilistic, fuck the world, 
punk rock stuff and and you know the whole Sid Vicious die in the gutter with a needle in your arm that was just never my vibe you know I was I read a lot and was trying really into changing the world making the world a better place at least for myself and my friends you know and and to hear bands like Minor Threat and and Seven Seconds and Dag Nasty huge influence musically and lyrically as well well, you know, to see you guys today, it's still the same feeling. But I remember seeing you for that that first time on that warp tour, and it was just every fist in the air, every yeah. fan feeling it. I mean, you know, and you guys were the perfect storm. I mean, here you are, just blistering fast. I mean, no one was playing faster than Byron in the nineties, <laughs> um, you know. And uh, and uh, I think that was even before Red Bull. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I was just, I'm working on a book right now, and I, I described it as like. We are a band that, with a guitar player that looked like a mix between Chewbacca and <laughs> I don't know what the uh, some other terminology of some giant beast. Oh, uh, Bigfoot, Bigfoot and Chewbacca on guitar, yeah. and then a drummer that sounded like he had drank a case of Red Bulls and washed it down with Ritalin. I mean, and and I remember that those first few practices of watching Byron play and just going, how is he doing that? Like, that's not physically possible. He, he was doing this one on this song we have called Amoy that's on the uh, uh, yesterday's album, where he's doing a, a, a roll and then going back up, and he could go around the drums and back up them in the in half the time that most people could go down the 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 toms (laughs) and i was like this band is crazy like literally like that uh you know fletcher the same way fletcher's right hand is definitely world class when it comes to speed and and it was it was just there's times when we're playing live where we're just it's it's like a train going off the rails i'm like we're just going to get speed wobbles and and, you know this is like absolutely crazy but yeah i get tired i get tired watching byron play to this day it's just like (laughs) and and you're waiting for him to mess up and you're like he it just seems like it keeps getting faster and faster and faster but you know usually by this point in the show we've kind of already dove into the song but i wanted to kind of touch on some of these things we talked about jimmy i thought it was important um just because you know by 97 this track in particular Particular. This is just. I wanted to hear your influences and hear kind of where 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 this came from. And hearing that the, the Jason was into Dag Nasty and some of those things, and where you were coming from the positive pl- political angle versus the punk in the in the gutter with the needle. So, mm-hmm. take us back to to society. I believe you said this was written somewhere in the middle of the record. Do you remember exactly? Yeah, I remember exactly because I was with. I think. On Unknown Road is the first record where I started playing guitar and writing songs, writing music and lyrics. And with Jason out of the band, I felt a real responsibility to start coming up with my own songs. So I was out in the garage all the time with my guitar and my amp and my little Fostex four track, writing multiple songs every day and put together probably half the songs on full circle just in my garage and and showed him to the band and you know Fletcher obviously wrote a lot uh, a lot of guitar stuff too but it was funny we had somehow um, there's a, a, a Dawkin the band uh, Dawkin uh, had a studio in Redondo and we were starting to get more popular and doing this for a living and we uh, asked to use their studio because they had a rehearsal studio over there in uh, Redondo Beach. Was that Total Access? Uh, Total Access was in the next business mall over. And, oh, okay, and, okay. And they had, and that's where they recorded, and and Dio recorded, and all these metal <laughs> bands. And then we were coming in right at the time when hair metal was kind of going out, and like Dawkins yeah. was like mad at us. He was like not stoked at all. 
because like all these punk bands like Nirvana and everyone had kind of taken over. So, but he was still cool. He was funny and really gracious and let us use his studio. You know, rented it out to us. So um, we, for the first time, we used to and still did for a long time. Worked in a uh, a uh, shipping container that we had made into a, a practice place. So now we kind of had this kind of cushy studio to go into with couches and dark lights and stuff to go in and record. So I would go in there early and um, just stare at the wall and see what would come to me. And and Society was a song where all of it just literally came to me all at once, like holding the guitar and 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 did the riff. Randy came in and afterwards kind of made the, the opening bass riff. but Which I, is killer. Yeah, which, is, which killer. is awesome. It's a... It's a quintessential Randy bass line. But I put the chords together and then came up with the ideas and just kind of slowly got it working. And then I'm sure you know how it is and uh, different people are. Once you kind of get the vibe of the song, you of uh, the, the chord progression, you go like, what is this saying to me? You know, like, what is the mood of this song? And it, and it just had this foreboding kind of dark but also plaintive quality of, of like, there's so many problems confronting us and it's sad that we, we, it seems like we're, we're helpless to deal with a lot of them. Because, you know, this is the early 90s and you had a lot of stuff going on out here on the West Coast and everywhere, a lot of crime, a lot of gang violence. You well, know. we were coming out of the Reagan and, and, and George Bush's first term. You know, you had Bill Clinton coming in. There was a changing of the guard. I remember that time. I mean, yeah. when the hair metal thing died, it was kind of like, you guys are old news. We're, there's a rushing of the, of, of the guard coming in here. And uh, for me, it was refreshing. Yeah. And, it, you know, same thing when you look at grunge. Grunge was definitely an expression of this frustration and the music was heavy and dark i mean it was super dark and and i think that you know there is that feeling uh, for me when i when i wrote the song it was when we get into the lyrics like there was this whole thing that was kind of coming up in america of like this dark force that you read about in things like brave new world and and 1984 that this big brother thing was behind all this that, that there was some entity that was was going to screw the the American middle class out of everything and you know how many years later we're we're seeing the results of that and I really think that that, that was a, a perfect example of me just being in the studio and and the song just coming together kind of all at once and uh, the, the refrain of using the word society of like a, a gasp of saying like what is it it's it's this is society going all the way back to the greek times it's it's power corrupts and um all you can do is throw up your hands and say hey this is us you know it's this yeah. is how people behave and they it's going to be a huge collective shift in consciousness for us to start behaving in any other way and well, I'm 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 kind of glad you touched on something. You know, I know, I know some probably some listeners don't know this that uh, that you play guitar and you talk about you know writing songs on the guitar. I didn't know you played until you put together Black Pacific. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I, I you know I, I just assume anyone that just just sings is just a singer. You probably you know maybe you could play a few chords or something, but you never really think of, of a frontman of a band that doesn't play guitar as actually having the, the ability to do that. I played since I was 12 years old and was writing songs before I got in Pennywise. I, I wrote a bunch of songs and, and obviously uh, I'm not, we're not going to go back to blame Fletcher, but <laughs> I think it has to do with <laughs> when you've got a six, five, uh, 
300-pound uh, guitar player. It's hard not to think that he runs the show, which he which he yeah. does. Uh, and, um, and depending if the alcohol is working that night with him yeah. or not. <laughs> he either runs the show or destroys the show. Um, I love you, Fletcher. <laughs> yeah, kiss ass. Um, um, uh. Yeah, and but, you know, he's he's written some um, amazing guitar stuff himself so it's not taking any anything away from him and he wrote tons of songs for for every album and you know i still to this day i think the best fletcher jim collaboration was every single day and uh, uh, you know it's just a perfect mix of music and lyrics for our band and a different song from society but i'm thinking about writing a book called every single day because it really encapsulates a lot of philosophy about you got 24 hours in your life you know but so yeah i i did i i wrote about almost when it comes to after jason passed away i wrote almost half of every subsequent album after that on guitar as well yeah, I'm glad you brought up what you said about Fletcher, too, because every great band has that yin and that yang. <laughs> There's yeah. always one or two people where they have this thing, but that's what makes it combustible. That's what makes it kick ass and awesome. I, I want to get into the song now. You know, the intro is interesting. The intro is actually three parts. You know, it starts off with that the, the drum and bass. And uh, God, I love the tone that, that Randy got on here. The tone on this is killer. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and that goes for a minute. And then it goes into what I call, I'm calling the buildup, the second part of the intro. And then you're into all hell breaking loose. You're into that main riff. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, what we're either going to call the verse or the chorus. We're going to yeah. get there in a second, but it's the main riff of the tune. And uh, this song's three minutes and 22 seconds long. That's kind of long for a punk, uh, hell for a Pennywise song. Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's, that's pretty long, but it doesn't feel long. This thing just keeps driving. It's a 35 second intro. And then we're into, what would you call this, Jim, the first verse, or does it start with the chorus? Yeah, I'd call it the first verse. Okay, that's what I have here, but I said, or is it flipped? Should this be the chorus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'll talk more about that in a second, but uh, we'll get into the lyrics here. Um, society, we all know there's something wrong, and we've known it all along. Sincerity, you may think there's no one else till they put you on a shelf. Society, pay your taxes, stand in line, help them plan for your demise. Society, crush the weak to get your share because nobody's playing fair and no one cares. There it is. <laughs> and you, you remember specifically, like, was that ever the second verse? Was that always the first verse? Was that something you had in a notebook or was this kind of all written pen to paper in one sitting? Pen to paper. And uh, I always brought my little scribble pad with me. And, um, you know, I, I was an English major at UCLA. So a lot of people don't hear it. But in, in my songs, you're going to being an English major. You know, I've dissected poems and there's a lot of alliteration and I try and put different rhyme schemes in there to make it more interesting but with this song you know especially this first verse there's you know <laughs> it's an example of like once again going right back to Brave New World 1984 you may think there's no one else so they put you on a shelf it, it's all about how we're treated like a product by big business we're treated like a number you know, you're put up on a shelf like you're a product and, and big business is going to use you as a tool to maximize profits and how can they manipulate the populace. And, it, and it's very well known. There's a great, great book out there right now 
um, that came out this year called Evil Geniuses, and it's all about this. And you can you can read how it happened. And in the early 70s, after the 60s, there was a concentrated effort by uh, economists and this huge force that came together that and people who published papers saying that you know we need to. Uh, rebuke science. We need to change the judiciary. We need to change media. And we also need to start um, build this huge lobbying effort to maximize profits at all costs. And, and that's when they started shipping all these jobs overseas to get cheap labor. They, it, was, it was a really orchestrated attempt to maximize profits for big business. And, and, and this is what you're getting out of. And then the 80s came and you, you just saw how this was happening of, of the stock market taking over and corporate dividends and shareholders and all this stuff was, was, we were starting to see the effects of it. And factories were closing down across the country and people were losing their jobs. And these few four lines to introduce the song were just all about, this is what's happening to our society over here. And that's why that's I, how it's how you were anal it's how you were analyzing it. Yeah, that's cool. And I think that it's what I like about it is that 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 first line of when I say society in the song, instead of it being like a typical Pennywise scream, you know, guttural fuck authority, you know, it was more like a whisper of saying like, "Hey, man, they're sneaking this by us," you know, <laughs> like. We may not see it happening, but big business and big uh, corporations and CFOs out there are are sneaking this master plan in there. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say what I love about this is in the intro, you're in that pounding riff of the verse, but then it breaks down and you get that whisper. The first two lines of the verse are kind of tucked down and then then it comes back in for the last two. And it's those dynamics in this song that really, to me, make the song, again, it's three minutes and 22 seconds long, but it goes by really quick. It's just driving, and it's those peaks and valleys that make it interesting. Do you remember when you recorded this, did Eddie Ashworth, what did he bring to the table in terms of the dynamics of this song? Was he just kind of letting you guys be who you were? Is this is this how the song was when you recorded, you know, we're, we're rehearsing it in Dawkins' re re uh, studio, or was this... Uh, was this something that was kind of crafted in the, in the studio? You know what? I, I really look back on Full Circle as being probably sonically our best record. And, and I think that has to do with Eddie coming from and Total Access Studio, like I said, was a real uh, metal background. And uh, they were getting better and better at um and let's be honest you know the, the the metal scene they were really into their studio and their gearheads and and uh oh yeah whereas you know west beach and and bad religion and and uh everything brett was doing great for the punk scene like suffer is a, a sonically a great album but uh, i think eddie with full circle just brought this warmth to the sound that we hadn't had before and a bigness to, he he finally allowed the bass to sit in its 
real position where it needs to be and especially on on society i think yeah. it's one of the first times where you hear randy's bass be in its proper place i i think on our first album the bass was kind of squished out of the picture a little bit but that's a whole another topic but well no and i'm glad you brought brought up eddie and what he brought to this because this track in particular and in, in the full circle album i think as, as a whole it, it kind of marked a change for pennywise i mean your first couple of records were like put the pedal down holy shit here we go yeah it was there was really no yeah <laughs> you, know, you know there wasn't much in terms of the dynamics of what was going on in this song so again would do you remember was the song kind of written with the quiet parts or did did eddie talk to you about that in the studio do you do you recall I, I think we had, um, from writing the song, we kind of had the idea of the dynamics of the song uh, and with the big intro and then it's going to suck back down. But he was the disciplinarian when it came to performance of making us beyond tight because we kind of have an, I don't know, I'd call it instinct, but when we play live, and people have told me this before, it's like, it does sound like the wheels are about to come off. We're just really shambling, you know. It's just like this, this uh, <laughs> yeah. overjuiced jalopy going down the road. You know, it's like we get really fast and much looser. Where he really tightened up the sound a lot, and um, yeah, you know, we've had different studio experiences, and that's to put it lightly. I think with Joe Barisi and Eddie Ashworth, those were times where they're like, these guys don't fuck around. It's not mess around time in the studio. You know, it's- yeah, it, You're there to work. Yeah, and you felt the That's pressure awesome. like when you're performing of like, hey, I've got to get this right. Or it's, it's not gonna be like, you know, when you're working with other guys who are totally under your thumb, that you can just, ah, fuck off. No, that was good enough. You know, like take it mm -hmm. as it is and and, you know, I'm not doing it again or whatever, you know, or, or things I've always like, said, I never hired a, hired a producer to be nice to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I want him to kick my ass. I want him to make me better, you know, cause I, I know I can rest on my laurels and that's one of my, my, my faults as a performer in the studio. I, I can get lazy. Yeah. You know, I think we all can. We all can, especially when you've done it eight times and by the eighth time you're like, Hey, I don't want to do it again, you know? And, but if the producer's like, well, you're not there yet and I hear it, then you can take a break and come back or something. But I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I think coming from that background and the history at Total Access that um, they had there of, you know, I, I think even metal bands, they, they get the idea of like, oh, it's party all the time and we're wasted. And, <laughs> but th they really did put in an ethic into the studio of like, hey, this is work time now. And, um, and Eddie definitely had that. And it wasn't until mixing, we brought all the friends in and the beers and everyone got wild and then it just got crazy but when we were tracking the song it was work time and and you had to 
be on your game. And I think we kind of put the pressure on each other more than any yeah. other album there of like, this album is really special now and, and let's do this right. Let's not screw around. I mean, because our, yeah, well, our our first record, our first record we did was all screwing around. The the the, the record that uh, we got kicked out of the studio when we did our first um, theologian <laughs> record because the people at Radio Tokyo, I think it was called, they said, "You guys are idiots! <laughs> Just get out of here!" It was like the, it was like the Beastie Boys. We like we walked in with like several cases of beer and like, all right, when do we start recording? Like. We're just going to get hammered, you know, and yeah. So no, that's that's not how full circle was at all. It was like yeah. This well, is and it, it, it's great. You, you, the words you had for Eddie uh, Franzel Rom had had recorded with them, as I mentioned earlier, and they had nothing but the same things as you. They just couldn't say enough pra- praise for the guy. Getting into the what we're what we're calling the chorus, and Jim, I'm I'm saying this is the chorus because every time this is in the song, it's the same exact lyrics. Yeah. So we're gonna go with this is the chorus. Exactly. Uh, how long you how long you pray makes no difference today when it's society. Now, when I googled the lyrics, it comes up devices with yeah. a C. But is is this dev- devices? D e v i s e. That makes more sense. I, okay, I'm constantly it, shocked how many times like I'll I'll go to. Um, a lyrics website to uh, grab some remember old of songs mine, and they're so <laughs> freaking wrong and, and it, I'm like don't these people get it from uh, like our actual album but I, I think there's there's some kid in a playing somewhere that must be just listening to the album deciding for himself what it says <laughs> Well, this is multiple lyric sites I went to. It all says devices, but I'm listening to it going, I think he's saying devises, and that makes more sense. Yeah, when it's society devises how you'll pay. When finding the truth makes no difference to you, any way you look at it, you're going to get screwed. You lose. And then right there, you're back into the reintro, which is the second part of the intro at the top of the song. It's not just the bass and the drums. It's what I was calling the buildup, the second part. Mm-hmm. That goes through two measures. And then, boom, you're back into the uh, into verse two, which, which I'll go through real quick. Um, society, no one here can get along because our history is too long. Sincerity, think you're going with the flow, but you never really know. Society, to all the leaders, it's a game and it's making you insane. Society, data patterns are supplied proof and on the on the <laughs> lyric sites it says proof tap back is it isn't it two yeah yeah it's two <laughs> it's two okay that's what i wrote down like proof proof to back up all the lies hardly alive like i was reading this going society yeah. data patterns are supplied proof tap back all the lies yeah that there's, there's a perfect sense. example of the algorithm <laughs> going wrong <laughs> Um, okay, again, set up this uh, the, this second verse here for us. Uh, this is just uh, a, again a continuation of what you're feeling, what you're what you're hearing in the news, what you're seeing. Yeah, and you know, back in the part where it says when you're saying society devises how you pay, it's just what I was talking about. This this was designed to see how you're going to pay to increase profits, how we were all going to pay, and we're we're going to lose our jobs overseas and and we're going to lose so much we're, we're going to pay dearly for for this plan that is being undertaken um i think it one line that i always go back to, uh, to no matter where i'm singing this song and i always when i'm performing i'm always trying to be in the moment as much as possible and really feeling the lyrics it may not look like it or sound like it or whatever but i've over how many thousands of shows we playing i really want to be believing in the songs and what i'm saying and i definitely can remember times when i've looked out at a crowd and said the line 
no one here can get along because our history is too long. And whether I'm in Europe and playing in Germany or I'm in Italy or I'm in Brazil and South America or I'm in uh, Dayton, Ohio, or uh, it doesn't matter where it is, you can look at that and, and see how cultures and countries and civilization has this long history of ancient hatreds and biases and racial prejudice and things that they can't forget. And imagine it uh, when, when we're playing in uh, Eastern Europe or, or, or places like that, where back 20 years ago, it, you had Croatia and Serbia and, and, and these people, it, it's kind of like if Colorado and Utah went to war because of, you know, it's like, it's like they yeah. have these things that they, they, different places in the world, they can't get along because of whether it's religion or ethnic or, or whatever problems. And that's a big one, you know, and I, I see that everywhere we play of like, Hey man, there's, there's reasons why we can't get along. We can't erase history, but this is the reason why this morning, uh, you know, I'm going to get in a fight on Facebook with, with someone who has different views than I do. And um, yeah, where did they come up with those? So yeah, it's definitely a song that, that kind of is looking back at all of history and looking at all these problems and, and, and trying to find some type of answers. Well, you said something a moment ago that made me think too, it's why I got into punk rock and why I've always just had such an affinity for it and why it spoke to me. Uh, and I've seen you guys in Italy, you know, and we've been <laughs> to some parts of Italy where they, they, they don't speak very good English. You know, I've seen you guys in Japan yeah. uh, and the punk rock translates. It just does. Yeah. You know, especially a song like this. They they may not know exactly what the word demise means, but they feel it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they they they're they're living it. They got the fists in the air and man, it just it, it gives you chills. It gives me chills thinking about it. Um, we get into the second chorus here and, and, and why this was confusing when I was analyzing it, I think, Jim, was because this only happens twice. Usually the chorus will happen three times and the verse will only happen twice in a song. Mm-hmm. And, and we end on what we're considering the verse here. But we get into chorus two, which is the same as is uh, lyric is chorus chorus one how long you pray makes no difference today when it's society devises how you'll pay when finding the truth makes no difference to you any way you look at it you're going to get screwed you lose and then we go back into a third Mm reintro, which is that second part of the song again at the top of the song what i was calling the build-up and then it breaks down into the intro drums and bass and man you can just hear that tone like i said that randy got there it's just so cool And again, we're in another dynamic part, which I guess you could almost consider this a bridge, but but it goes back to the to the verse uh, uh, arrangement, chord arrangement. Mm-hmm. And uh, it what I'm calling here is the spoken word part with just the drums and the bass. Mm-hmm. Um, and you come in and say, society, we all know there's something wrong and we uh, know it all along. Sincerity, you may think there's no one else till they put you on a shelf and it's this. This is the strangest part of the song. This kind of just dies out, and you hear Byron kind of do this hi hat, like little ticking, and it just you almost think it's the end of the song. Put you on a shelf. It's a very strange uh, stop. Do you remember doing that? Was that something you you again that maybe Eddie thought of in the studio, or you did with him, or was that written before you got to the studio? 
It's a very different breakdown. Yeah, you know what? I I think uh, this was probably one of the first times where we really did something spontaneous. And um, we call this a breakdown. A lot of people yeah. have different terms for it, whether it's a bridge or whatever. We call it a, and it sounds like a total breakdown of like, yeah. Uh, but it, it, and so I think, I, I'm pretty sure Fletcher was pretty involved in this right here. He always is when it comes to this point of writing the song here, where I may, I may bring in the chords and um, the lyrics and all that, but he'll, He'll really mold that into a Pennywise song, and and he's the one that wants it, you know, to have that power. And so I think that we got this is like one of the first songs where we had some real dynamics of going into a quiet, more thoughtful, more like, what do we do now? Like this, it's like everything is bottomed (laughs) out, and like, so what do we do now? And then the buildup back in is this is the rise. We've got to we've got to fight back. Well, and I don't mean this crappy in any way, but this is kind of, to me, that part uh, is what you said a moment ago. I kind of feel like the wheels fall off the jalopy here. Yeah. It's kind of like just this boom. Whoa, what is this part? And then then you're just back in and it's just kicking your ass again uh, with the second half of the breakdown, the third verse, whatever we want to call it here. Society, you can go on with the flow, which you never really know. Society, pay your taxes, stand in line. You can vote or get a life. And then <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> is that not right? It's not right. That's, I missed a line. Damn it! What is no, it, Jim? That's the uh, that's the uh, that's the lyric guy from whatever thing is screwing up again. But I got the rest of it right. See, yeah. now I'm being. I gotta be. I gotta be hard on myself. I'm, I'm supposed to get this right. What, okay, society, pay your taxes. Stand in line. <laughs> what is the lyric there? It's kick you further down the line. Kick you further down the line. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's so funny. All I had to do was actually listen and pay attention to that. So that that that's on me. Uh, um, but I will. Uh, I really want to go through all of our songs on on the different lyrics things because there's some real. That's a very humorous one. <laughs> um, <it laughs> pay your taxes, stand in line. You can vote or get a life. Maybe someone from Italy translated this. That's probably what it is. That that might be what it is. <laughs> I, I hear that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the line is kick you further down the line, and that's what they're going to do. You know, that was the idea. They're just going to kick each person further down the line at the gas line, at the bread line. And then you, you end by just uh, kind of passionately screaming society four times. Yeah. And then the song ends, and there's this really cool delay on all the instruments and the fade out at the end. It just kind of goes for maybe 10, 12 seconds, and it just dissolves down. Do you remember that at all? Was that something in mixing that you didn't really get involved in, or do you remember that happening? No, I really, it's really cool. like um, I like stuff like that. That um, we were more into it before, but I like that kind of trickery. And that was something Eddie would just messed around with various things until we found something we all liked. And uh, Cameron has done some stuff like that. Cameron Webb has done some cool stuff like that as well. But this was just all of us sitting there. Uh, after the songs and done of think way how can how do we end this thing to make it sound like chaos has now ensued you know and and uh i think it was a perfect coda and yeah it, that was all eddie 
No, it's it's really cool, and it's probably nothing that I would even have paid attention to maybe in 1997, or if I had paid attention to it, I might have even been as, as brazen to say, well, that's not really punk rock. That's like something you do on a Dawkins record, but <laughs> man, I... I, I dig it. I, I really think it's I really think it's cool and it adds kind of like this uh, I don't know kind of wraps up the song and kind of this little little shroud of mystery so, so to speak. But um, do you remember you know the record came out in April of '97 again? We did the the uh, Vans Warp tour with you guys that summer. Um, that would have been the first time I actually saw you live. Um, and I remember you playing the song. Do you think the Warp Tour was probably the first time you aired that tune, or did you play it before the record came out? Because we, we used to be able to play songs before albums came out before YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, usually, I'm not sure if we played a warm up show before that Warp Tour. Uh, we probably did do some touring before that, but it, it was definitely there was times. Some bands have, have played songs before and, you know, play them live. Then they go in the studio and record them. We definitely, there were many songs on, on, on most of the albums that we had never played before we got in the studio. And then, uh, so we would, a lot of times we, we come out of the studio, studio and, the, and the album's done and we're on stage going or, or in the practice place. Like, I've never played this song live before. I, we just, I know, right? We just recorded it, but wow, this is weird to play it on stage in front of people and but i think that was one that i i definitely remember of what of like wow this this song is getting a really good response and we kind of dragged out the the uh breakdown when we play it live and have messed around with it but it's it's really a invigorating song to play live because uh no matter where we are now people definitely relate to it well, that's what I was going to ask, and you, you answered the question. You said it from the from the get go. I got a good response because if, if I were to bet, just because again of the dynamics and just if you like Pennywise, just hearing this song would get an immediate reaction. But I'm sure you've had because uh, less than Jake has tons of songs like this where you're just itching to play. You're like our fans are going to love this, and it just people are get, getting a beer and taking a piss during it. You're like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> you know. So it's cool that the, it's cool that you remember this song not being that. You know, because sometimes that happens. Sometimes songs are just great recorded but they don't translate translate live yeah you're exactly right you can write a song and just love every ingredient that you put into it and it's perfectly crystallized but a live crowd is a different thing and uh they they want a hook or some dynamics or something of like of where it slows down or speeds up and yeah oh well, yeah you can absolutely see it and when when i see heads start to turn and uh you know some <laughs> yawns going up i'm like okay guys we got to play society right now <laughs> yeah it's going every single day right now just to stop the song mid-song just go right into every single day yeah. and then, then follow it bro him twice and we're out of here <laughs> and stand by me yeah, I, I've 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 been there. I could could totally relate. All right, Jim, we'll, we're we're going to wrap up here. I want to uh, you know from bottom of my heart, thank you so much. You you guys have always been dear friends, treated me and 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 less than Jake uh, with 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 the utmost respect. So much fun to tour with. I'd like you to leave our listeners with anything that's going on in, in your world right now, uh, solo, Pennywise. Uh, let let us know what's up. I'm working on an acoustic record from right here in my little office, and. Um, uh, putting out a bunch of songs that are related to kind of more personal things. My dad passed away. I have a song that I wrote for him. Um, and um, just some songs I wrote over the year. It's a little more, I'm not going to say country, but it's a little more roots, you know. There's not a lot of punk rock on there, but uh, I think it's something people like. I've been posting a lot of videos on my Instagram, and people can kind of see what I'm doing with that. And then uh, 
I've been um, working with a friend of mine's son who has a bunch of really cool songs that he's putting together, so you can look for that. I also have a website that I need to refresh right now, but it's called punkguru.com, and it's all about books and literature, and uh, I'm going to be adding that book, Evil Geniuses. I really want everyone to go out and and read this book by Kurt Anderson, which really lays it out for us of the continued plan to screw the middleman, <laughs> the little man, you know, uh, of out there. And, and we're still seeing it today. And, and uh, people are cloaking it in patriotism and things like that. But the reality is we need to uh, start making some laws that make uh, what's been going on un-American. And uh, that, but that goes for the rest of the world as well. But uh, as usual, had a great time talking to you, Chris, and and really love what you're doing. I think, I think this is great for fans and the people in the bands to finally talk about the intricacies of a song and what goes into it. And I really think that way you can appreciate it a lot more, especially when you know what went into the song. And also, the other lesson we've learned is to not trust the lyric websites <laughs> and i i'm telling you you're, i i i can't believe i got that last line wrong i'm sitting here my, my head spinning right now i'm going damn it how did i miss that i'm just messing but, with man, you man no no you're, you're you're absolutely right jim it's been it's been my pleasure and thank you very much for the kind words i really appreciate it you got it great to talk to you chris and uh say hi to the guys for me Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. Today's featured band is Burn Rebuild from Chicago, Illinois. They are a pop punk band with a hint of Alkaline Trio and the Loved Ones. This track was taken from their sophomore release, For the Last Time, which you can find on Bandcamp. Here's a snippet of their song, Skin and Blood. The Rap with Chris and Chris. All right, man. Well, right off the bat, I'm going to take part of the blame and apologize for sending you lyrics before before the thing that I just Googled. I should have listened to the song and double-checked them because as you guys made very obvious in the episode... And as you and I know, too, the lyrics are very rarely correct when you Google them. Oh, yeah. No. And it, and uh, I, I'm not going to hold you to blame. Again, I'm, I'm taking the full uh, uh, kick in the ass for this one. Uh, probably every lyric you've sent me. Uh, again, to the listeners, Chris does uh, a great service for me. He provides me with notes and the lyrics. Uh, uh, it makes it easy for me. And then, uh, of course, I get in there, listen to the song and start going, OK, that lyric's wrong. Um, yeah. <laughs> Google is not your friend in this instance. Uh, but I'm usually pretty good. I think I think this is the first episode where someone told me I got it wrong. So uh, again, I'll, I'll take full responsibility. <laughs> okay. Well, well, anyway, the first thing I start thinking about when you have Jim Lindbergh from Pennywise is 
being in high school and seeing so many people wearing that iconic green Pennywise shirt, which I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. There was this one Pennywise shirt that was like the Pennywise shirt. (laughs) It was green and I think red. I think it was like Christmas colors or or whatever. And it had a big Pennywise logo on the back. And there must have been 20 kids at my high school that had that t-shirt that's just like the first thing i think oh yeah it was everywhere and again they were an interesting band um they i remember their first record uh coming out and i remember there being a buzz about it but that was right around the time the lesson jake started getting going and and i I said in the episode i can't believe i did not see them till 1997 because i know they were touring their their uh their tails off back then but uh yeah, Warp Tour '97 was the was the first time I saw him, and by that time it was in it was in full swing. And the shirt you're speaking of was all over the Warp Tour that summer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it it's interesting when you see a Pennywise crowd too, because you had the punk rockers, but you also had the sort of like football players who probably listen to the the fast aggressive music of Pennywise to like get psyched up for a game. So you had like this sort of clash between like punks and jocks and your average joes or whatever because that aggression appealed to so many different types of people absolutely and you know it's it i I talked about in the episode where you know it takes that yin and yang of a band every band has it you know you you, you're sleeping next to each other you're in airports you're bound to get on each other's nerves but there's this energy that exists within bands i know you can relate chris um and that's what makes bands work it's that combustible energy it's what it's what does it and 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 it's, it's no secret jim and fletcher uh they can get at each other's throats real quick and i'll never forget it was warp tour 2001 we had known the Pennywise guys for some time, and we uh, they had showed up at the Gorge uh, in the middle of Washington State, which is a beautiful amphitheater uh, in the middle of uh, Washington. It's just one of my favorite venues. And uh, we had already been on, the, we were on the whole tour that summer, and uh, Pennywise joined us uh, halfway through or whatever. And I come around the corner, and there's their camp. They have it set up outside their bus. They have their tent and their chairs, and um, I had just bleached my hair. Uh, that warp tour and I come around the corner and I said hey Jim hey Byron and Fletcher looks at me it's it's like 10:30 in the morning he's already got a got a beer in his hand and he looks he goes you can't fool me with that blonde hair thinking you're a fucking simple plan or something you know and he just starts going <laughs> at me you know and, and you're not gonna say anything to Fletcher I'm just like uh yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> and, nice <laughs> and it was like that later that night I'm walking back from the barbecue and there comes Jim and I'm like Hey, what's up, Jimmy? He goes, hey, hey, can I talk to you real quick? I said, yeah. He's like, uh, man, I, I'm really sorry about Fletcher. I don't know why he fucking does that, man. <laughs> you know, <And> he <laughs> gave me the whole spiel. I was like, you don't have to apologize for him. But yeah, he's just, they've, they've always been friends. And, uh, and and Fletcher, God love him. He's, we all know he's insane. But uh, they've they've always just been, and I, I meant it when I said at the end of the episode, they've always been uh, been dear friends and a lot of fun to tour with. And, and what Jim said about uh, the wheels falling off in the jalopy. If you ever watch Byron play live, it's just like any second he's going to lose the sticks. He's going to lose them. He's going to lose them. He just yeah. keeps going. <laughs> faster and faster it, it's pretty cool yeah <laughs> hey a thing i was thinking about and i've thought about this so many times before so you know you're a little bit older than i am and jim's a little bit older than you are so we have these sort of like gaps in i guess what you would call like musical or punk rock generations <laughs> or whatever so i always think about like if i grew up in the 80s and, and this relates to when you uh, we're talking about the inspirations for for Pennywise. You were talking to Jim about that, like other bands that they looked up to or emulated. I think about like what 
if I wasn't a little kid watching Sesame Street in the 80s or whatever, uh, you know, I, my favorite song was probably C is for Cookie at that time. But uh, if I was actually like a teenager and I was like into punk rock, what bands would I have been into? And Jim had a unique perspective. He, he listening off the bands from like Hermosa Beach, it's like, wow, <laughs> you know, uh, but I, I think about that a lot. And I think I would have I think I would have liked the Descendants a lot if I was into punk rock at that time. I mean, I guess I'm basing that off of what I like now, but I also think that I really would have liked The Cure. <laughs> and I really, I think I also would have liked Minor Threat. I think I would have liked Oingo Boingo. I think I would have liked Squeeze, The Police, and Fishbone. And that's my list of bands. You know, my range of like punk rock to new wave. I think that would have been my wheelhouse. But I, but you're a little bit older than me, so maybe you... But you were into hair metal, <laughs> I think. Right? Well, I was, I was, I was really into everything. By the time I got into high school, right. you know, I, I was, you know, listening to rock and metal. But uh, when I was about thirteen, uh, I got introduced to the Misfits, and that was the first punk band I heard. Um, and then, and then right. from there, it was Circle Jerks, and it was Bad Religion, and it just kept going from there. You know, he when he mentioned where, where they're from, that that's a hotbed for punk rock down there. All the bands that we had mentioned in the episode, you know, Age and Orge, TSOL, the Dickies, uh, right. you know, um, Bad Religion. Uh, uh, yeah, descendants. It's uh, uh, really cool because <laughs> where I came from in Port Charlotte, Florida, I had not, <laughs> I had Billy's Bar Band, you know, to, down at the harbor. That was about it. And you know what else is hanging out uh, down by the harbor there, Chris? What was hanging out down by the harbor? <laughs> a ton of stray cats, ah. which uh, is a perfect segue to this month's fundraiser, which is Kitty Corner Cat Rescue and Lounge, located in Everett, Washington. Uh, they need help uh, to reopen after their space was damaged by smoke and water due to a fire in the adjacent building. Since their start in 2016, they have saved over 2,000 cats and kittens from high-kill shelters and cared for them until they found their forever homes. Kitty Corner is more than just a shelter. It is also a place where you can go just to hang out with kitties in a comfy, lounge-style setting. Owner Christina Robinson, volunteer and fundraising coordinator Bonnie Sands and the whole Kitty crew are incredibly grateful for this opportunity to raise funds to keep saving lives. So please head over to KristaMakesADifference.com. That'll redirect you to their page and you could uh, uh, help us out this month. You're really talking my language, man. I am a true cat lover. I have two cats, Zeke and Zoe, both that came from shelters. And I have a real soft spot in my heart for cats and dogs. But this month is specifically about cats. And that's awesome. So if anyone out there can contribute a buck or two or five or 10 or a hundred or a thousand, whatever, <laughs> whatever you can spare, uh, just go to Chris difference.com and make a Difference in the life of a really cool cat or lots of cats, 2,000 cats to be specific. That's right. You know, I don't think I say this enough, Chris. I want to thank all our listeners. Each month you contribute to every fundraiser. We do one fundraiser a month, as, as a lot of you know. And uh, through your generosity, we've really been able to give back. And uh, all of the organizations have been more than thankful. So thank you very much. I also want to give a shout out to the new revamped Less Than Jake YouTube page. We've got a bunch of cool stuff up there. So head over and check that out and please hit that subscribe button and speaking of subscribe buttons chris yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> how about how, how, how about subscribing to this show yes yes subscribe to this show if you're listening you better hit that subscribe button and chris i will say that we would really appreciate it if people would take the time it only takes about five seconds but on apple podcast give us that five star review that's all we're asking 
That's right. If you could help help us out, we'd be uh, forever indebted. We'll keep trying to give you amazing episodes. Speaking of amazing episodes, I want to thank this week's guest, Mr. Jim Lindbergh from Pennywise, for sitting in with us. And we will see you next week. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all <laughs> and my name's bob and my name's patrick and usually we're joined by tom tom's the best tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work but we talk about decidedly not so grown-up things like hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like so that could be the latest shows uh revisiting classic material talking about the new classics um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast.